You're listening to an Al-Mahdi Institute podcast. Thank you for listening. We are looking at Surah Al-Hujarat, chapter 49 of the Quran, and one of the things that I've repeatedly stated in the last two sessions is that this chapter, this chapter in particular, seems to have a specific focus on what I have been calling evil speech. And I want to start right off the bat today by defining what I define as evil speech. What do I mean when I say evil speech? Before I give you my definition, however, I, I uh, should just state that I'm fully aware that the definition that I'm about to give itself is open to criticism. So you may find fault with the definition, and perhaps together we can work out a good definition of what evil speech constitutes. But my definition is as follows. Evil speech is any form of uttered speech which intentionally causes injury or harm to another person or to yourself. That is my definition of evil speech. I'll just say that again because I can see some of you are trying to uh, practically get that down. It is any form of uttered speech which intentionally causes injury or harm to another person or to yourself. And I just want to expand on that definition a little bit because there's a few elements there which are quite important to understand. The first thing is that speech has to be some form of uttered expressions, right? So the thoughts which you have in your mind, maybe they're evil. You know, all of you might think right now that this guy doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. But you're not uttering it out in the open, right? So it's not, a form, it's not yet communicated speech. It's still a form of private discourse. It's private speech. So in philosophy they have this idea of speech being a speech act, right? And that's where my definition is being kind of inspired from. Speech has to be uttered, it has to be put out there in the open world. Someone has to hear what you're saying, right? That's the first point. The second thing is that what you are saying, you are saying with intention. So you may out of jest or, you know, accidentally say something, but then realize, actually, I didn't mean to say that. And that happens often. And generally throughout the Islamic tradition we have this idea, you know, that all of your deeds, they're measured by your intentions. So if you didn't intend to harm someone, then of course you're excused, there's no sin, you're not blameworthy or anything like that. So intention has to be there. Your intention has to be that I'm saying something deliberately and I'm fully aware of what the consequences of this act might be. Right? So that element is very important. And the third element is that it causes injury or harm to another person. Now that makes sense. Evil speech has to be somehow... Um, uh, injurious or causing harm to another person. But then someone may at this point stop me and say, well, what if I say something but it doesn't actually offend anyone? That it doesn't harm anyone? It doesn't injure anyone? Is it still evil speech? Here, of course, uh, let's just put this into context. Let's say that person X and person Y are having a conversation about person Z. Now, person Z is not in the presence of person X and Y. So this is a private discourse between X and Y about some individual who is not in that gathering. And what they're saying about person Z is not very nice. Right? And this is of course Riba, which we will study in in, in next lesson. Um, Riba is a form of evil speech. Now what happens if that person, that person Z, never ever hears or is told about that private conversation between X and Y? Is it still a form of evil speech. According to my definition, it is a form of evil speech, even though it hasn't caused any harm to person Z. And why is that? Because evil speech 
first and foremost, it is not the injury or the harm which is caused to another person. First and foremost, what makes evil speech evil is the harm that it does to you, the speaker. So person X and Y are having a conversation. They are speaking about person Z. But the conversation they're having is injurious. It's harmful to them. And hence it's evil speech. If it so happens that it also affects person Z, then that's double evil speech. Right? Because now the people who have been affected are not only the people having the conversation, but the one about whom they are having the conversation is also affected. Right? So that is why in my definition I put it is injury or harm caused to another person or to yourself. And I'm going to be de- de- developing this idea shortly because I think this is very important. Because the, the, the chapter of this, uh, the focus of this chapter is, of course, of course it's looking at the, ne- the negative consequences of evil speech upon other people. But throughout the chapter, there is this emphasis on, oh you who believe, oh you who believe, oh you who believe. That speech is connected with people's faith. And faith is here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is repeatedly saying in this chapter, and I'm going to talk about this in about two minutes. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying repeatedly in this chapter, O you who claim to have iman here, don't speak evilly of others there. But the implication is that it's going to affect your iman here, because it's connected to iman. We're going to see that. Right? So there's deep spirituality within these verses. So, if you wanted a very concise definition, all evil speech is a form of violence. It's violent speech. Violent because it's going to cause harm to either yourself or to someone else. And if you look at what's going to come in the following verses that we study today and next session, you're going to notice that harm and injury is caused to other individuals, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala seems to be considering this as a form of violence. It's either violence against the others, you've transgressed the rights of others by being violent towards them, or you've been violent towards your own self. And your self has rights, and it has a dignity, and it has a special place with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which you should not transgress. So all evil speech is a form of violence. Now in Surah Al-Hujarat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala systematically describes different forms of evil speech. Those of you who have taken the time to read this chapter in advance from beginning to end, you know that he talks about people who are liars. We're going to look at that today. You know that he talks about, in the very initial verses, about those people who speak inappropriately with respect to the Prophet. That's another type of evil speech. Why? Because you are injuring and harming Rasulullah. You are either doing it to belittle his status, or you're doing it because you don't actually like Rasulullah. And of course, that's kufr. You know, anyone who does that by consensus of all Muslims, they're kafir, they're not Muslims. There's also ghibah that is in this chapter. That's a form of evil speech. That's another type of evil speech which Allah talks about in this verse. There's abuse, there's ridicule, there's name-calling, there's tail-bearing. All of this is within this chapter. These are all Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is doing like a, a shopping list of evil speech. He's saying, if you want to know what the different types of evil speech are, these are the different types of evil speech. And... This is the most remarkable thing. I find this personally so remarkable because nothing in the Quran is an accident. Nothing is, uh, you know, just uh, haphazard. There's always a divine wisdom behind everything. And if you look in, the, in this chapter, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the phrase, Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu. How many times? Does anyone remember? 
from previous sessions? No? More? Five. There are five times in this chapter, five verses, which begin, Ya ayyuhal ladina amanu, O you who have iman. Right? There's 18 verses. And almost a third of them begin with the phrase, Ya ayyuhal ladina amanu. But I just want to draw your attention to this. Every time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhal ladina amanu, in this chapter, He's going to connect it to a form of evil speech. So let's look. So, what I would like you to do, is I'd like you to turn to the very first verse. It begins, Ya ayyuhal ladina amanu, la tuqaddimu bayna yadi yillah. Right? O you who claim to have faith, do not put yourselves ahead of Allah. Now here, out of all of the five instances, this is the least explicit. As I stated in the first session, here you could put any type of advancement and it would be justified. So don't you know, give your opinion ahead of Allah before he releases uh, his hukum. But we could also here insert here, do not speak ahead of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that out of the five is the least explicit. Verse number two then starts. Ya ayyuhal ladina amanu, la tarfa'u wa aswatakum fawqa sawtin nabi, wa la tajharu lahu bil jahri ka jahri ba'adikum li ba'ad. This one is very explicit. O you who believe, do not raise your voices above the voice of Rasulullah and do not speak of do not speak to him out of tone. O you who believe, don't speak to the Messenger of Allah with evil speech. Right? The next instance is in verse number six. Ya ayyuhalladina amanu in ja'akum fasiqun binaba'in fatabayyanu. The verse is saying, O you who believe. If a fasiq comes to you, then verify the news which he is bringing. Now, a fasiq, as I'm going to explain today, is a liar. A fasiq is a liar. So Allah has connected iman with being cautious about those people who are known liars in the community. The next verse is verse number 11. He says, Ya ayyuhal ladina amanu. لَا يَسْخَرْ قَوْمٌ مِنْ قَوْمٍ O you who believe, do not allow one group of you, one group of people to ridicule another group of people. Now the only way ridicule can happen in this context is through speech. So again, iman, there is iman, and then there is some admonition, there is some warning about how we speak to one another. Then in verse number 12, Ya ayyuhal ladina amanu. Right? This is the final one. This is the fifth instance of Ya ayyuhal ladina amanu. It says, Ishtanibu kathir min al-dhan. Inna ba'd al-dhan ithmun wa la tajassasu wa la yaghtab ba'dukum ba'da. Right? O you who believe, avoid much evil suspicion. Do not spy on one another. And do not do ghiba. Ghiba is a type of evil speech. Look at the emphasis that Allah has placed on iman and evil speech within this Quran, uh, within this chapter. He's saying that if you are truly believers, then this type of behavior through your tongue is not befitting of your iman. Five instances Allah has mentioned iman, five instances He's mentioned evil speech. And this leads to some uh, very, very important conclusions. 
But before I get to those, I, I want to just tie these five verses together. Is there any coherency between the ways in which Allah is mentioning these five these uh, these uh, believers and the five instances of evil speech? Imam Fakhadin al-Razi, he was a 12th century theologian. In his tafsir, he makes a, a truly astonishing remark. And I want to share this with you. Imam Fakhadin al-Razi says that the whole chapter is about akhlaq. And it is either akhlaq towards Allah, number one, akhlaq towards the messenger of Allah, number two, or akhlaq towards others. Right? Now we've seen in chapter number in, in verse number one, La tuqaddimu that's the akhlaq towards Allah. In chapter number eight, I keep saying chapter in verse number two, we saw that Allah says, Do not raise your voices above the voice of the Messenger of Allah and do not speak to him in an untoward manner. That is akhlaq towards the Messenger of Allah. All the other three instances of evil speech are the akhlaq that is due to your respective community and brother. Now, those who are other are of two categories. This is Fakhradin Arazi speaking here. Right? I'm giving him the credit, not me. I haven't discovered this. He says that of those who fall into that third category, who are the other, there are two types. There are believers and there are liars. Fusaq. Already the implication is very clear. That you cannot be a believer and a liar at the same time. That's, we're going to talk about this. But in that category of other people, so those besides Allah and His Messenger, there are believers, al-mu'minun, and there are those liars, al-fasiq or al-fasiqun. And within the category of the believers are those who are in your presence and those who are absent. So what you find is that, hopefully this works, you have this diagram. Your akhlaq is either towards Allah, that's verse number one. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, first type of evil speech, towards Allah. Verse number two, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, la tarfa'u aswatakum fawqa sawtin nabi, that's towards the messenger of Allah. Then you have the others, and the others are either liars, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, in ja'akum fasiqun, those are the liars. How should you treat the liars within the community? Then you have those who are present, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu la yaskhar qawmun min qawmin that's that verse in verse number 11 and then you have the ones who are absent Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu ishtanibu kathirun min al-dhanni fa inna al-dhan ithmun right wa la tajassusu wa la yaghtab ba'dukum ba'da and let not some of you do backbiting of others so there's a wonderful schema within the background of these verses. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has divided everything very clean, very nicely, very logically. Right? So you can see that verse 1, that's first, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. Verse 2, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. Verse 6, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. Verse 11, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. Verse 12, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. It's all talking about how you have akhlaq towards either God, His Messenger, or the other people within your community. And all of it is connected to evil speech. Today we are going to focus, we've done verse number one and we've done verse number two. Right? Today we're going to look at verse number six. Next session we'll look at 11 and 12. 
Okay? So let us just focus now and move to verse number 6 and try to understand what it's saying. <clears throat> it says, Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu in ja'akum fasiqun binaba'in fatabayyanu So the first part of the verse states that, O you who believe, if a fasiq brings you naba, then verify it. Now here, of course, there are two key words that we need to... Sorry? Oh, okay. There are two key words here that we need to try and understand. What do we mean by fasiq? Very important question. This is both uh, a lexical question. We want to know what does the word itself mean within the Arabic language? But what does it mean as a technical term within Islamic sciences, like fiqh and Quranic studies and things like that? Second, we want to understand also... And Naba. What is Naba? So let us start with the first question. What do we mean by Al-Fasiq? Al-Fasiq is Al-Kathib. At the level of language, within the Arabic language, Al-Fusuq hu Al-Kathib. Right? If you open an Arabic dictionary, you go to one of the classical Arabic uh, dictionaries, like Lisan al-Arab or Taj al-Urus or one of these great dictionaries, and you want to understand what is the meaning of the word fisq or fusuq, they will tell you it is to lie. Okay? It is simply a lie. Kazib or kib. Within the Islamic tradition, that meaning has been uh, used in a rather technical sense away from its lexical meaning. So the lexical meaning is simply just to lie. But within the Islamic sciences, the word fusuq or fisq or fasiq is understood to mean al-khuruj and ta'atillah. It is to come out of the obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, anyone who openly sins, <coughs> openly drinks, openly does these major sins of Islam, this person is clearly kharij and ta'atillah. He is someone who is stepped outside of the obedience and the uh, abeyance of the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Does that make sense? <coughs> now, here the ulama state, now I'm going to use some technical terms because there's people here who are quite advanced, and I don't want to always talk in simple language because that's an insult to your intelligence. The ulama try to reconcile these two definitions by saying, as they say, one is general, one is particular. Al-umum wal-khusus min wajh. They say, anyone who uh, steps outside of the obedience of Allah, that's the general definition. And a particular example of that is someone who lies. You see that? So there's no conflict between the two definitions. Is that clear? There's no conflict between the two definitions. That's the first point. The second point that I want to make here is that the word fasiq is not, it, it's in singular form. It's in singular form. Its plural is either fusaq or fasiqun, which is used in the Qur'an as well. But in the Qur'an, there are only two instances where the word is used in the singular. Fasiq, fasiq. Obviously, this is one of the verses. Another instance is chapter 32. If I could just ask you to turn to this, please. Chapter 32, verse number 18. So it's Surah Sajdah, verse number 18. Chapter 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytanir rajim, Afaman kana mu'minan kaman kana fasiqan la yastawun. Afaman kana mu'minan is the one who is a mu'min. Kaman kana fasiqan like the one who is a fasiq, la yastawun. No, they are not equal. From this verse, the scholars of Islam have made it very clear that a fasiq cannot be a mu'min and a mu'min cannot be a fasiq. Is that clear? Because they're not equal. أَفَمَنْ كَانَ مُؤْمِنًا كَمَنْ كَانَ فَاسِقًا لَا Allah is saying, the one who is a mu'min cannot be equal to the one who is a fasiq. And the one who is a fasiq cannot be equal to the one who is a mu'min. They're not the same. So there's a general understanding amongst all scholars of Islam, all of them, that Iman cannot be combined with Fusuq. That a liar cannot be a mu'min. That's how grave lying is as a sin. Right? A liar cannot be a mu'min. And a mu'min cannot be a liar. Now if there was any ambiguity about that, we have a tradition from Rasulullah in which one of the companions asked him, Ya Rasulullah, Al-Mu'min Yazni, can a person who has faith have uh, illicit sexual intercourse, illegitimate sexual intercourse, so either fornication or adultery, right? Can a Mu'min do that? He said, Bala. He said, yes, of course. What does that mean? He said, you can still be a Mu'min, even though you've committed quite a serious crime within the Sharia, which is to commit zina. Right? And as you know, within the Islamic tradition from the verses of the Quran, there's you know, serious penalties to those who are zani wa zani, right? That's a separate issue. Then the companion asks, Ya Rasulullah, al-mu'min yasruq, can a believer steal? Rasulullah Rasulullah said, Bala, yes of course he can. Meaning that the act of theft does not diminish or remove his faith. He's still a mu'min, but he's a, he's a sinner. Right? He's a sinner, no doubt. But he's still a mu'min. And then the man asked, Ya Rasulullah, al-mu'min yakzib? Qala la abada. The companion asked Rasulullah, Can the mu'min lie? Rasulullah said, Never. A mu'min cannot be a liar. A liar cannot be a mu'min. And the proof of that is within the Quran itself. We've just seen one of those verses. Al-mu'min وَالْفَاسِقْ لَا يَسْتَوُونَ Another instance is in Surah An-Namal, chapter 16 please. إِنَّمَا يَفْتَرِيَ الْكَذِبَةِ الَّذِينَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ هُمُ الْكَاذِبُونَ The only ones who fabricate a lie are those who disbelieve in the signs of Allah. Indeed, they are the ones who are liars. Clear verse. إِنَّمَا الَّذِينَ إِنَّمَا يَفْتَرِيَ الْكَذِبِ The one who 
fabricates a lie, la yu'minuna bi ayatillah. They do not believe in the signs of Allah. Never mind Allah. They don't believe in the signs of Allah. Never mind Allah Himself. Right? Now the point of these verses is not to get into a theological discussion about, you know, what is Iman and all of that. That's going to come later. The point here is to point out how serious the Quran regards evil speech as lying. Lying is a serious crime. And we're going to see what the consequences of that are in this particular chapter. Another point that I want to make, and this is a historical anecdote. The word fasif, as we have stated, is mentioned only twice within the Qur'an. And according to the vast majority of Mufassirin, whether Shia or Sunni, the word fasif here is referring to a particular individual. The same individual. So you see, Allah has mentioned, used the word al-fasif, Twice in the Quran, in the, in the singular form, not the plural. Those are separate instances. But on the occasions in which he mentions Al-Fasid in the singular, he is referring to an individual called Al-Walid bin Uqbah. Al-Walid bin Uqbah. And I just want to show you what Walid has done in these two particular verses that Allah has called him a Fasid. A liar. Not only a liar, but someone who is openly disobedient of Allah's command. In the first, uh, sorry, in the verse where it said, uh, Is the mu'min equal to the fasiq? The fasiq here is Al-Walid bin Uqba. And the mu'min is Ali ibn Abi Talib. The historical sources tell us that Al-Walid had the arrogance to say to Amir al-Mu'mineen, Ya Ali, I am more eloquent than you in speech, and I am braver than you on the battlefield. Imam Ali, of course, if you know anything about history, no, the majority of you have probably never heard the name Al-Walid bin Uqbah. Right? The majority of you, I probably would hazard a guess, have never heard of the name Al-Walid bin Uqbah. History hasn't recorded him, either for his speech or his valiance on the, on the battlefield. No one can doubt the eloquence of Ali ibn Abi Talib or the author of Nahjul Balagha or his bravery on the battlefield. Do you know Ali ibn Abi Talib on the battle of Badr, 70 people were killed. 35 were killed by Ali ibn Abi Talib. So half of the enemy were killed by a single man. Ali ibn Abi Talib. In response to this claim which Walid made, Imam Ali replied, لَيْسَ الْأَمْرُ كَمَا قُلْتْ يَا فَاسِقْ what you say isn't true, O oh liar. And then this verse was revealed. Right? The second instance in which this... Now that verse comes from a period in Mecca. So historically speaking, in terms of the chronology of the Quran, came first. So Walid was already known within the Muslim community by then as a Fasiq. By the time you get to Medina, which is Surah Al-Hujarat, the vast majority of Muslims who had any knowledge of the history of Islam and the Qur'an's revelation already knew that the Fasiq was Walid and the Mu'min was Ali. Then comes this verse. Ya ayyuhal ladheena aman, in ja'akum fasiqun binada'in fatabayyanu. This is also talking about Al-Walid bin Uqba. 
Now, what's the historical context here? Let's just translate the verse. O you who believe, if a fast comes to you, and I said to you that the ling- in linguistics, in, in a lexical meaning, fast is just a kadi, the liar. If a liar comes to you, then verify the news which he is bringing. What is the context of this revelation? The ulama of tafsir, they tell us that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam dispatched Walid bin Uqba to the tribe Banu Mustanaq. So Prophet, the surah is in Medina, the Prophet is now head of state. The Prophet dispatches Walid bin Uqba to collect the zakat from Banu Mustalak. Now of course within Islam zakat is an obligation, you have to give it, and when you have a state, the state has to collect it. Now obviously in this time you have the head of state Rasulullah, so his duty is to collect the zakat from the mu'minun, from the believing tribes and believing individuals. Al-Walid bin Uqba had a history with the Banu Mustalak. The tribe which Walid bin Uqba belonged to had a conflict with Banu Mustalaq in the days of Jahiliyyah, fi ayyam al-Jahiliyyah. So when Walid, ibn, when Walid bin Uqba approached Banu Mustalaq, Banu Mustalaq had already heard that Rasulullah was sending someone to collect the zakat. And so they, so they were delighted to see that, Allah, that the Messenger of Allah had sent an individual. So in their groups they came out to welcome, as was the Arab custom of that time, they would come out to welcome Walid bin Uqba. Walid saw that all of a sudden there's a bunch of people heading towards me. And he assumed that they were coming to kill him or to fight him. Because of that past grievance the two tribes had. So he went back to Rasulullah. And what did he say to Rasulullah? He said that the tribe of Banu Mustalaq, they have refused to give the zakat. They have refused to give the zakat. Now, when you have a Hakim al who is collecting the zakat, and a group of believers refuses to give zakat within Islamic fiqh, this is a sign of irtidad, that they have become apostates, that they have, refu- they have rejected the authority of Rasulullah, and they have turned, back, turned their backs on Rasulullah. They have left Islam. So the claim that Walid bin Uqba was making, is that in refusing to give the zakat, these people have actually become disbelievers. Right? At this point, we have two various narrations on the history of what's happening here. According to one account, Rasulullah became extremely angry as to what Banu Mustalaq are doing. Such that he was about to wage war on this tribe. He was about to gather all the Mu'mineen in Medina, and he was about to go to battle with Banu Mustalaq. Allah intervenes, and he says, hold on a second, Ya Rasulullah, you know this man is a liar. Don't take what he's saying for granted. Why wage war on them? Which is such a serious matter when you know that the one who's conveying the information is a known liar. Right? That's one interpretation of the history. Another interpretation is no. When Walid bin Uqba came back from Banu Mustalaq, the companions around Rasulullah who had heard what had happened were urging Rasulullah to wage war on Banu Mustalaq. It was not Rasulullah himself. Rasulullah is a very intelligent man. He wouldn't act in such a serious way based on someone who is a known liar. It was the people around Rasulullah who were urging because of past conflicts and differences with Banu Mustalaq. Right? There was this tribalism, there was this mentality within the Bedouin Arabs that we need to wage war on Banu Mustalaq. This is the prime opportunity to wipe them out. Here, 
this interpretation preserves the integrity of Rasulullah, whereas the other one actually undermines his integrity. And the proof that the second one is more accurate is actually within the Quran itself. Why? Because what does the next verse say? It says, so go back to Surah Al-Hujarat, please. If you go back to Surah Al-Hujarat, it says, Ya ayyuhal ladhida amanu, in jaa'akum fasiqun minaba'in, fatabayyanu, an tusibu qawman bijahalatin, fatusbihu ala ma fa'altum nadimi. This actually requires a little bit of explanation before we actually go to the next verse. The verse says, if a liar comes to you, if a fasiq comes to you, then verify that news. Don't just um, be so impetuous and, you know, uh, impulsive. Weigh up the probabilities here. You have someone who is bringing you news. This is not ordinary news, by the way, because Allah describes it as naba, which is different from khaba in the Arabic language. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, أَمَّا يَتَسَاءَلُونَ عَنِ النَّبَعِ الْعَذِيمِ and Naba is khabar, but something with great significance. It's Adil. This individual, one individual who is a known liar, is not bringing you some inconsequential news. What he's bringing you is very serious. He's telling you that a whole community has apostatized. This is Naba. This is very interesting, by the way. Because Allah has a theory of communication which he's talking about here. He's saying that when you want to verify news, you have to do two things. You have to pay attention to the one who is bringing it, so the reporter himself, and the actual news that he is conveying. So when you are when someone communicates something to you, think about who is communicating it and what is being communicated. If we implement that in our lives, it could have good implications, right? If someone tells you something, but you know that this individual isn't that reliable, there, in fact. Their second nature is to lie, then the who question becomes very important. You want to say, actually, I'm going to weigh up probabilities here. What he's saying or she's saying is likely actually to be a lie. And secondly, even if someone who is truthful brings you some news, consider what he is saying. You know, if the news they are bringing you is so significant and the consequences could be so drastic, then even in the case of someone who is trustworthy, you have to still verify. Because the naba is not khabar. That's one way. Why should you do that? Because it's, it's conceivable and to see bi that you inflict harm on another community out of ignorance. You didn't know. And by quickly reacting to the news that was brought to you, you could have destroyed a whole community which had not committed any single sin. This is, by the way, one of the consequences of liars. <coughs> liars are bearers of false news. And False news can have dramatic and drastic consequences. They can destroy social cohesion. So, if someone is known to be a liar, just be cautious. That's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying. That's the command. Verify it. The question that I'm raising here is how? How do you verify it? The answer is in the next verse. وَعْلَمُوا أَنَّ فِيكُمْ رَسُولَ Know that in your presence and amongst your midst, is the messenger of Allah. This supports that second interpretation, by the way. Because the companions were quick to listen to Walid bin Uqba. They didn't verify. But in their midst is Rasulullah. All they had to do was turn to him and ask him, Ya Rasulullah, is this accurate news? This is the man who has revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
وَمَا يَنْتِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَى إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيٌ يُحَى He does not speak out of his own desire. He speaks out of the revelation that he sent to him. If you really have Iman, and you know that Messenger Allah is there, why not just turn to him and ask him? You want him to follow you, but it's meant to be the other way around. You're meant to be following him. And so as many of the Mufassirin point out, this is the issue of muraja'ah. And muraja'ah, you probably heard it, heard it as marja'iyah. Marja'iyah here is not to fuqaha. Marja'iyah here is to the ma'soom himself. That the ma'soom who is Rasulullah is there in your presence. Your duty is to do irja to him. Turn to him in these affairs. He will tell you what to do. And the proof of that is in the next verse. لَوْ يُطِيعُكُمْ فِي كَثِيرٍ مِّنَ الْأَمْرِ if he obeyed you implicitly it's saying you want him to obey you but the Quran says if he obeyed you you would self-destruct that's what la'anittum would mean la'anittum means is you would inflict all kinds of uh, harm upon yourself how does the translation say here um Know that the Apostle of Allah is amongst you. Should he obey you in many matters, you would surely suffer. Implication there is, those of you who study Usul al-Fiqh, you have mantuq and mafhum. The mantuq is, if you don't follow Rasulullah, you will suffer. Mafhum is, if you follow Rasulullah, you will be saved. You see that? Did you see that? Did that make sense? The verse is saying, if, if Rasulullah were to follow you, you would suffer. But if you did it the other way around, if you followed him, you would be secure. Does that make sense? Okay. <clears throat> so we can see that the whole story of Banu Mustalaf here is very significant. And again, the Quran is reminding these people who claim to have Iman that remember that your authority is Allah and the Messenger. This particle, by the way, low, low yuqayukum, this is called an impossible conditional. Right? What it means in Arabic grammar, whenever you use low, it's saying, if the Messenger of Allah were to obey you, but this if is, he's never going to obey you. It's an impossible condition. You know, it's like me saying, if I were a woman. You know, I'm not a woman. You know? But if I were a woman, in English we can say things like that, but it's an impossible if. Right? So this is why it says, low yuqayukum. And then the verse continues. It says, And as every Mufassir points out, that the people who are now being addressed are not the same as those who, as those who wanted Rasulullah to follow them. Allah is now addressing a different group of believers. He's saying, however, for this group of believers who actually wait for the command of Rasulullah, they don't want him to follow them. They are ready to follow him. As for them, Allah has made faith, iman, something they love. This is a sign of a true mu'min, by the way, that they really love Rasulullah. Right? What's at stake here throughout the whole chapter is this issue of iman. Right? And the condition of iman is that you unconditionally love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger. Right? وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ حَبَّبَ إِلَيْكُمُ الْإِيمَانِ وَزَيَّنَهُ فِي قُلُوبِكُمْ And He has made it something beautiful in your hearts. 
That is the Iman. Some Mufassirun say that the pronominal suffix on the end of Zayyanahu doesn't refer to Iman as such. When it says, and he has beautified it in your hearts. What is the it? The vast majority will say, of course, it's referring back to Iman. Right? He has made you love Iman, and he has beautified Iman for you in your hearts. There are other Mufassirun who say, he has made you love Iman, and he has made the Prophet beautiful in your hearts. So the who is referring back to Rasulullah. Right? Grammatical point there, uh, which hopefully you, you, you've understood. The opposite of Iman, وَكَرَّهَ إِلَيْكُمُ الْكُفْ The opposite of Iman is Kuf. But not just Kuf. وَالْفُسُوق Not just Fusuq. وَالْعَسْيَان Or Asyan. وَالْعَسْيَان Right? These three things shed greater light on what Iman is. Iman is not just belief. Iman is what you say. Because وَكَرَّهَ إِلَيْكُمُ الْكُفْ Kufr is here. Al-Fusuq Fusuq is here. As we say. Follow me? Right? He has made disbelief something you hate. But also he has made lying something you hate. The remarkable thing about lying is that even liars hate liars. Even liars hate liars. That's the remarkable thing about lying. Right? That even liars, they don't like liars. Because they know that if this guy's a liar, I know what it means to be a liar. How can I trust him? So, even a liar will avoid liars. Does that make sense? Right? These are the ones. They are the ones who are rightly guided. Rightly guided, why? Because they were willing to follow Rasulullah. That they were willing not to lie on their tongues. And they were willing not to commit asyan, ma'asiyah, ma'asiyah min sin. This is full iman. If you are rightly guided, you have iman in your heart. You have iman on your tongue. You have iman in your actions. Those are the mu'minun. And Rasulullah has made a, a remarkable statement as well about why people lie. What is the root cause of why people lie? In a hadith we have, لَا يَكْذِبُ الْكَاذِبِ إِلَّا مِنْ مَهَانَةِ نَفْسِهِ عَلَيْهِ That is deep psychology here, really, Allah. The Rasulullah has said, a liar only lies because he has contempt for his own self. He has contempt for his own self. In other words, by lying, yes, that lie may have consequences on others. But by lying and becoming known as a liar within community, you only degrade your own self. Because even liars hate liars. What about the truthful people? Right? And we can see here that this fits in with my definition of evil speech. Because I may lie. And you, you people may not know that I'm lying. But I may lie and it doesn't cause any impact out there in the world. But I degrade my own self in the process. So I'm harming myself. I'm injuring myself. Right? So as I said, evil speech is that which is intentional and which causes harm either to others or to yourself. <clears throat> so if we go back to the verse, uh, so we're now in um, the next part, which is 
Right? So Allah says this is uh, a grace and a blessing from Allah and Allah is all-knowing and, and wise. This brings us to verse number 9. And there's some beautiful points that I want to try and convey to you. Quite technical, but again I'm going to give this a go and see how many people can appreciate this. The first thing is we know that lying has devastating consequences. And Allah Himself kind of gives a hint here. He says, in one of the consequences of lying is that you could cause two different groups to go to war with one another. Right? So the verse says, If two groups within the community of believers start fighting one another, the question is, why are they fighting? If we just link it to what's been said previously, it's because in If a liar comes to you, if you don't, you could wage war on Banu Mustalla. They are believers. You are believers. You're about to fight and kill one another. Right? So it's kind of linked. The narrative is consistent. These verses aren't separate, as some Mufassir will try and make it. Allah seems to have a very clear logic here. He's saying, if two groups of the faithful fight one another, make peace between them. I'm going to make a grammatical point here, which is something that I noticed, and I want you to, I'm going to test that theory with you. I'll try and explain the Arabic grammar here, because I know not everyone here has learned Arabic, right? So what does the verse say? It says, in ta'ifatan. The word ta'ifatan is what we call muthanna. It's in the dual. Right? The single is ta'if, ta'ifa, ta'ifatan. That alif noon on the end means two groups. So, in my translation it says, um, yeah, if two groups of the faithful fight one another. So, it's in, in the dual. It's in the dual. Then it says, if two groups in ta'ifatani min al-mu'minina the verb here in, by the way in Arabic when you use verbs verbs have to correspond to the doer of the action in gender and in number right? you agree with me those people you know Arabic? yes? so when Allah says if two groups fight the verb which is fight, it should also be in the dual. It should say, وَإِن طَائِفَتَانِ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ اخْتَتَلَا Those of you who know Arabic, you agree? You agree? So what is Allah doing here? He's saying that the people who are fighting are not the groups, but it's the mu'mineen. Because the mu'mineen is in plural, the verb is in plural. So it's saying, if two groups of the believers in plural fight. And the verb is in plural. So it's referring to the believers who are fighting. Correct? You following me so far? Then what does it say? Fa Then aslihu, by the way, is make peace. Then make peace between them. That's literally what the, the translation says here in my book. It says make peace between them. But in Arabic it doesn't say make peace between them. It says, فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَهُمَا Then make peace between the two of them. Does that make sense? Okay. So what's happening here? The verse is, the grammar here is quite profound. It's saying, the believers are the ones who are fighting, 
But the ones you have to make peace between are the two groups. If I am correct in my grammatical analysis, and the Arabic speakers and Arabic students here will hopefully verify that I am, Allah is pointing to a great mystery here. He's saying sometimes we fall into groups. And our conflict is not at the level of individuals. The conflict is at the level of the groups. You see, sometimes, individually, I don't have a problem with him. But because we fall into groupthink, because we align ourselves into social categories and social groupings, I have a problem with him, not individually, but to the group which he belongs. So Allah is saying, you individually are fighting. The level of reconciliation is not at the level of individuals. Because the problem isn't between me and him. The problem is between the way I categorize him and the way I categorize myself. Those who don't know Arabic, did any of that make sense? Yeah? You're nodding your head? Do you see the group psychology here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making? It's all coming through from Arabic grammar. The people are fighting at the level of individuals. Iqtatalu in the plural, referring to the mu'mineen. But the level of islah, reconciliation, فَأَصْلِحُوا Not بَيْنَهُمْ بَيْنَهُمَا Solve your differences sometimes. Not at the level of individuals, but at the level at which you categorize yourself mentally. He's Khoja, I'm Iranian. You know? He's a doctor, I'm a nurse. That's where our problem lies. The way we categorize ourselves. Individually, he's a lovely man. I may even marry him. You know? That's, that's what the Quran is saying. He's saying sometimes we fall into these group psychologies. And, Reconcile your differences sometimes, not at the individual level. Of course, that also applies. But do it in the way you are talking about yourselves and categorizing yourselves. <coughs> so what's happening here? What's happening here? We have one group, group X. They are fighting with group Y. And Allah says in the Quran, reconcile their differences. So obviously that address, فَأَصْلِحُوا, can't be to group X. Because they're not impartial. They're involved in the fighting. It can't be to group Y, because they're involved in the fighting. So the people who are being addressed here are group Z. Allah is saying, you are, all of you are mu'minun. But within your community, group X is fighting group Y. Those of you who are not in group X or group Y, try and reconcile their differences. Okay? Do the islah. Do the peacemaking. Let's assume you are successful. What happens? After the islah, after, they have, after group X and Y have resolved their differences, فَإِنْ بَغَتْ إِحْدَاهُمَا عَلَى الْأُخْرَى Allah is saying, after group X and Y have reconciled their differences because of group Z, if after that peace has been achieved, you have a rebellious group. Now the rebellious group are either X or Y, because they had the conflict, their differences were resolved. But for some reason, after a passage of time, X felt, you know what, I'm still not happy. So they are known as Ahlul Baghi. Ahlul Baghi are the rebellious ones. So they decide to revolt and break that peace after it was achieved. Now Allah commands Zed, فَقَاتِلُ الَّتِي تَبْغِي عَلَى الْأُخْرَى The command now comes to group Y and to group Z. 
you to combine your forces and fight against the rebellious group. Do you see the mechanics of what's happening in this verse? Right? So now Zed is no longer impartial. Zed, that was the arbiter of peace, felt good about itself. I've reconciled the differences between X and Y. After a few years, X and Y start fighting again. So Zed gets offended. So Zed is now commanded to join camp with Y and fight against those who are rebellious. Rebellious in the sense that they broke the peace treaty. But the verse continues. He says, فَإِنْ فَاءَتْ فَأَصْلِحُ If now group X, which was Ahlul Baghi, who are the rebellious ones, if they now come back to peace again, then أَصْلِحُ again. Make peace again. Notice that in two verses, verse number 9 and 10, Allah is going to mention the command make peace for aslihu three times. Aslihu, aslihu, aslihu. Allah is emphasizing again and again make peace between yourselves. Make peace between yourselves. Make peace between yourselves. Right? That's the importance of islah that al bayn, as they say in technical language in Islamic fiqh. It is a duty upon Muslims that when you see other Muslims involved in a conflict, whether it be verbal, physical, whatever it may be, within your family, outside of your family, make peace. Do it again. And do it again. Right? That's how important making peace is within the Islamic tradition. So he says, فَأَصْلِحُ بَيْنَهُمَا بِالْعَدْ Make peace between them with justice. وَأَقْسِطُوا Make peace again with justice. إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ الْمُقْسِطِينَ And then the final verse that I want to end with today, it says, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ إِخْوَةٍ Allah says the believers are like brothers. Now again, I want to make a point here. Because in Arabic, the singular of brother is أَخْ. There are two types of plural for أَخْ. You have إِخْوَةٍ which is mentioned here, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ إِخْوَةٌ or you have إِخْوَان right? In Egypt you must have heard of إِخْوَان الْمُسْلِمِينَ right? That also is a plural of brother. So if that exists in the language, the scholar has to ask himself, why did Al-Hakim choose إِخْوَةٌ and not Al-Ikhwan? has to be a reason. So when you go to the Arabic dictionaries and you ask the grammarians, the linguists, the lexicographers, What's the difference between Ikhwa and Ikhwan? They say, Ikhwan al-Akh min as-Sadaqa. Ikhwan is your brother out of friendship. So, I may have a friend. Now, friend doesn't have to be Muslim. Al-Akh min as-Sadaqa. He may be Jew. But I can be his friend. And through friendship, we are brothers. Ikhwatun, on the other hand, is al-Akh is your brother is your brother to through blood relation what does Allah say he says are the believers brothers through friendship ikhwan or are they brothers through blood relation ikhwan Allah says you believers you're not brothers just because you're friends your brothers like real blood brothers you have, in effect, the same mother, metaphorically speaking. That's the bond between you and your 
your brother who is a believer. And just as your actual biological brother has rights, they can inherit all these things, your brother in faith has rights. And one of them is that you do not speak evil of them. You do not speak evil of them. إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ إِخْوَةٌ Not إِخْوَةٌ فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَ أَخَوَيْكُمْ وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهِ لَعَلَّكُمْ تُرْحَمُونَ Fear Allah so that you may receive His mercy. Right? The Qur'an has this theme which we may touch upon later that the believers are considered to be one unified body. A body that is almost like a body that is joined by blood relations. That's how important believers are, cons- uh, are, are considered within the Qur'an. I just want to make one final point about Walid bin Uqba, because it just occurs to me in my mind. Al-Walid bin Uqba, if you didn't know, was the half-brother of Uthman ibn Affan. Uthman ibn Affan, as you know, was the third Khalifa of Islam. They had the same mother, but a different father. So they were half-brothers. After the demise of Rasulullah, during the caliphate of Uthman, Walid bin Uqba was given the governorship of Kufa. He was assigned the role of governor of Kufa. And the history accounts within Sunni sources themselves, that on several occasions, he would lead the salah whilst in a drunkard state. In one salah, he said words which are not part of the salah. In another salah, he performed Salatul Fajr, which is two rakat, he performed it as four rakat. These are the type of individuals that were in the midst of Rasulullah. And they gained political power after Rasulullah. Right? Of course, there's a whole history which I'm sure you've heard about and other things. But the point is that Allah condemns him in the Quran as a liar. The fact that he was Walid bin Uqba, the fact that he was the half-brother of Uthman bin Affan, the fact that he was the governor of Kufa is irrelevant. What's relevant is that he was a liar, which anyone in this room can be. Support Al-Mahdi Institute. Visit almahdi.edu.